Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites. This is episode 186. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Code of Honor, gentlemen. Code of Honor. Indeed, we are back here again. Love you. Johnny's Game Room. That's right. Johnny's Game Room, very well. Um... So, this is our first Code of Honor in some time that isn't themed, that is just freewheeling. I know, we are rudderless. Wow. Off the cuff, we're just going to do whatever. Off the reservation. Our strength is when we are totally shooting everything out of our rear ends. Visual I didn't need, but okay, I'll, I'll give you that. That's correct. Well, I could have been far more explicit, but you know, it's the, hey, it's the writer in me. I want to paint a picture with words. Oh, done. Absolutely. He is, he is engaging the theater of the mind. That's right. Very well put, sir. Yes, sir. You well, got, he got that from Jenkins. Well, I got it from Jenkins. It works. Yes. All right, so we, so we don't, you don't know what we're going to do. Nobody knows what we're going to do, but that's part of it. But we're probably just going to... Dive right on in, you think? I think so, because I just decided myself about two minutes ago. Okay, you got you got one? I've got something, so... Yes, so as listeners know, uh, new, for new listeners, for Sprayer, who, who, who has not yes. yet heard this, unless she's listening to the old episodes, she, she does, but uh, Martin or Francis will go first, and then the other, and then I will follow up uh, to hammer the point home. All right. Even though we were choosing totally unrelated quotes, yes. my job is to tie it all together with my quotes. Yes. And, and, and I, I have a touch amiss here, remiss. Uh, Robert's been discussing the new format as he kept in the last couple episodes, and I did not. But Sprague, especially for your benefit, and again, I told you there'd be shout-outs to you in these episodes. Um, new format, we're publishing only twice a month generally. Sometimes with the hoopajube thrown in. Right. Doesn't always fit on a Friday. Sometimes it's hoopajubes are going to show up on Tuesdays. never know when you that's coming. Know. That's yeah. right. But generally, second and fourth Fridays, 6 a.m. Eastern. Uh, our first episode of the month is always kind of that catch-all. It's going to be history and people and cultural history and all that kind Philosophers, of stuff. Philosophers, philosophy. Yep. That's right. And Pretty then, much uh, anything except pop culture. But cultural history. Yes, well, but, you know, not, not the kind of things we're probably not going to do a our favorite movies kind of thing on, on that second. That's probably going to be a hoopajube kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, well, we could. It's just, I think the only thing that's really out of bounds as far as pop, cult, pop culture goes would be, like, truly genuine of the moment pop culture Taylor Swift. I was going to say, we're not going to we're not gonna talk about Taylor? No. no. What about Kardashians? Can we talk about Kardashians? Uh, no. I mean, it's, you know, yes, but not as an episode. We're going to talk about them as basically being a monumental waste of time. <laughs> then they may, they, they may pepper in whenever. That's yeah, right. I mean, as, uh, we'll, we'll make fun they're, of them. They're, the Kardashians are a metaphor to us for everything that's wrong with modern society. I wouldn't Very say true. wrong. I would say useless. Useless, off the tracks, off kilter. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that that which does not matter. That which is totally irrelevant. Ephemeral. Ephem. Oh, very good. Very yes. good. That's, very that's good. our third ten dollar word in two. That's episodes. right. Now, which is not related to effeminate. Ephemeral. Though. Ephemeral. Ephemeral. That's right. Yes. yes. That having no substance. substance. Yes, having no, no substance. substance. Uh, not long lasting. Right. Yes. Indeed. 
that is, of course, the one potential flaw, and that is they are long-lasting. They will not they, go they, away. I know. It's, it's like the clap without penicillin. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there. All right. That's uh, I got that from a rifle, did you? In the army. Okay. All yeah. right. Okay. Let, let's skip a bit, brother. Let's let's uh, put ourselves back yeah, to. So, who's going first? Uh, I, I think I will go first. Okay. Captain's and, uh, prerogative. Yeah, and just kind of get this rolling a little bit, uh, and then we'll turn it over to uh, Francis. So I've decided to go back to the Wellspring. Uh, I haven't done a PJ work in a long time. Uh, still working through my grief uh, at his passing yes. at age 74 this past uh, past La- spring. Last year. Yeah, yes. last year. So, uh, this is one of his, I think from one of his later things, later 90s, early 2000s. Um, this is a comment on foreign relations. Okay. Lay it upon us. A hundred years ago, when foreign aid was unthought of, we were a respected and admired nation. After a century of philanthropy, everyone hates our guts. Ooh. (laughs) I thought that one was particularly topical since uh, we just had a visit from Zelensky, and that always seems to cost us 40 or 50 billion every time somebody sets up the phone to this son of a bitch. So. Okay. <laughs> what? Well, are, are you dissing Zelensky? I'd like to know where the money went. That's I, a fair I, point. I, That's I, a fair I, point. Okay. On the one hand, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Putin's got to be stopped where he is. Yes. We, we well, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying here. We've got to keep Ukraine alive as a separate entity, and, and weakening Putin has been a worthwhile geopolitical goal. But... Where the hell's all that money? Yeah, we've sent now over a hundred billion dollars, much, much, much more, more, and with probably more in the pipe to come. Huh? And you uh, would think with a hundred billion dollars, that would have been enough to drive Putin back to Moscow. So it's like, but where where'd the money go? Who's got this money? Did you spend it on weapons? Well, somebody's ripping you off there, Zelensky, dude, because. Yeah, weapons can be expensive, but... Yes, now to be fair, we have not sent all cash. We have sent a lot of that aid in physical weapons. That's kind of where so, I'm going with all this. Yeah, yes, how much more but, yes, we're doing. but there has been a lot of it's cash. It's been a lot too. of cash. It's mm-hmm. been a lot of cash for him to then spend on other weapons systems, supposedly. Right? Well, he's probably also doing things like uh, buying food. Uh, we you know, hope. We hope, yes, because they're cer- they certainly did not have much of a chance to grow a whole lot. An army runs on its stomach. And an army runs on its stomach, yes. Um, you know, there's uh, taking care of all the refugees that managed to stay. There's rebuilding, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure, infrastructure every time it gets knocked that. down. So I'm sure a lot of that has gone to internal use. But yes, an accounting would be nice. And I do not think that is... Um, it's not an unreasonable request. It's not, but but it may be an unreasonable request to audit everything right now. My point exactly. We'll we'll work this out along the way. Unless you can show me some egregious issues, Putin's needs to be stopped, and that needs to be the goal that we're right. all on board it's, on. I am absolutely one hundred percent positive that there has been cra- uh, graft and corruption 
in the transfer of these funds and what, these items. How could there not be? We how could there not be? That's right. It's human nature of this. The, the people who are going to be involved in this are going to skim a little bit off the top. They're going to take a few cases of weapons and sell them somewhere else in the world. Things like that. It's going to happen. And anybody who thinks that it's not is a naive idiot. That said, damn, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and I like to know where it's going. I'd also like to know why the hell the Europeans aren't putting up a little bit more money, too. Well, but the, the, they Germans, have. the Germans have put up some stuff. Uh, Poland has tried to, but they were rebuffed on trying to get uh, modern warplanes to them, which I was very annoyed at. Yeah. Uh, so, which, I, so, yes, but when you think about it, it's not just Germany and Poland that are the ones that should be yeah. fronting this. France... England, England has been ponying it, but not to the extent that they all could. I mean, we are, again, ponying up the lion's share of defense against the Russians, as we have been for the last 80 years. And, and, and what this quote makes me think about, and what I don't want to have 75 happen... Years. Pardon? 75, I said 80, oh. right, 75, yeah. Is we get down, to the, down the line here and say we have some success, and we roll Putin back. And Ukraine is now uh, secure. Free and sovereign. And like you said, hopefully some of this money is being ready to rebuild infrastructure. I don't want them coming back going, we need another $100 because uh, we've got to rebuild all this stuff Putin knocked down. Well, why don't you ask Putin for some of that money? Right. That needs to be part of the settlement. Yes. Who's paying yeah. for all this? Because the Russians have deliberately ruined power grid and things like mm-hmm. that. Well, then pony up and give us some of that dough. But I want to know where the money went. Do you, do you really see victory as be, having that capacity to do that? Probably not. I don't see there any way. He got, the, the way this wins is Putin goes back home. No, the way this wins is he gets a 9 millimeter retirement. Well, wouldn't that be nice? But that's ultimately, well, that's an interior thing. That is. But I'm honest, I think that is the only way this works. Is I think he's staying, as long as he's in power... He's staying. Whether it's a 9 millimeter retirement or just at the point of a gun retirement. He's got, I think he's well, in it for the long well, haul. Well, and, and uh, as, as we are so wont to do, looking back towards history, there is great precedent for when the Russian leader uh, becomes problematic to get his butt kicked out. Uh, Khrushchev, uh, uh, well, like they said at the at the at the in during the press conference during the coup in 1991, which coup d'état does this most re- resemble? 1917 or 1964? It's the same. You know, we could ask that same question here. Add 1991 to it, and it you know yeah. you well, continue to it closely resembles 1964. A lot less bloodshed. I would hope it's come to that. That is no, correct. I mean the one in 91. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. even though it didn't actually. It kind of fell backwards, and then it fell over, and there's a little bit more to it. What I'm hoping for is, and this will be, admittedly, this is a a tall mountain, but if they can roll back Putin, and there's some pressure or another on him, and he's talked about negotiations, he's talked about talks, and having some kind of negotiated settlement. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but I think that's... Because he's looking to get out of the war yeah. and keep what he's got. But well, I don't think he's going yeah. to be able to. Yeah. That, that's, that's what he wants. He's going to have to come, I think, to a realization that he can't keep what he's got. Of course, they're taking it back anyway. Right. But if, if they get to a point where they're taking everything back, and then he wants out because he doesn't want them moving into his space, 
which is a very real possibility. They've been doing. They've been striking targets inside of Russia. Then if he can come to the table and go, all right, I'll we'll, we'll secure this border and this will be the border and we'll give it up as long as you guys don't bomb me internally. And okay, I'll pay up. Yeah, I think ultimately mm, the best possible solution. Yes. Now, now, granted, we got off to a, into a political discussion here as opposed to a quote discussion, but um, I think ultimately the the best possible outcome is he is driven out, and a demilitarized zone, a neutral zone, is created around the Romulan Empire. Oh, sorry, the Russian Empire. Well, I think the the, the Russians are supposed to be the Klingons originally, weren't they? Actually, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. The Klingons somehow morphed into the good guys in the next generation. But, you know, because I always saw the Romulans as the ones that were supposedly more honorable, but whatever. Oh, well, also the least trustworthy, though. Klingons you can buy off. but Well, Romulans, Klingons, you know what they're going to do. They're just going to try and stab you in the back because they're warriors, you know, at any cost. But anyways, he's driven out. The border is secure. They get cash to rebuild. At least, even if it's only a token amount... Because obviously there's no way the Russians will pony up everything. No, but the, but you know if they get if they want to get their sanctions lifted, they're going to have to agree to pump. Like okay, so if you get your sales of natural gas going again, then pony up part of that guarantee. Yeah, a portion of that portion of those sales are going to go to rebuild Ukraine, and we'll have a settlement that then doesn't call for the removal of Putin. Right. Right. But I think a demilitarized zone is, is almost definitely got to happen. Hopefully it doesn't become like the DMZ between North and South Korea. Uh, you know, where it's mm. all mined and, you know, we're one gunshot away from, from war. But you know that that would kind of almost be to the Ukrainians' benefit. Mine the hell out of the thing and then they're not coming back. Well, the thing is, though, there has to be commerce with Russia. Yeah. That's the only thing. Well, just the oil alone. You know, that's, well, that's I mean, huge. The you know the the Ukrainians produce a good portion of the world's manure, and it may seem like oh that's a funny joke they're full of bullshit. No, they produce the manure that is used to grow crops worldwide. Well, they are. That's the bread, one of the reasons why they are the food has gotten so yeah. expensive, is that crops have been affected not just because what they've not been able to grow, but because what has not been able to have been fertilized with what they produce. Yeah, it is an enormous, Ukraine is an enormously fertile, rich area, agriculturally and natural resources, which explains one of the reasons Putin wants it. Yes, yes. well, he also wants more of the Black Sea. That's right. Uh, and honestly, which is a very uh, old other, argument we talked about. Yes, the other part of that is that the Crimea goes back to Ukraine. That that should happen. Yeah. That needs to happen. Well, I think we settled that. There's, you know, three bozos in Fern Creek got this all settled. Yeah, so let's make it happen. That, it shouldn't be that damn hard, UN. Hint, hint. So that's what made me think of that quote, though, is is the situation of Zelensky coming back to us for money, and we're and oh, I don't want at the end of this to be, you know, we want more, and then when the U.S. because of whatever political thing has changed, balks at even more money, then it's like, well, you jerk Americans. It's like, look, dude, one for us. You'd already have a bullet in your freaking head. So don't be coming back on us and, you know, giving us the hard way to go about it. Well, such a conversation would only happen after the war has been won in Ukraine's favor. 
So, yeah. in many respects, I can take a few name calling as long as Putin is. Well, but I, but I think Martin is pointing to a much bigger problem. Yes. Uh, that PJ was recognizing. Yeah. yeah. Every time we give money to somebody, it becomes an entitlement. It's, uh, it's, heard, uh, it's an international commentary on the way the social programs in the U.S. have been run in that it's just a flat-out entitlement. And I am not against helping people where they need help. The problem becomes when it becomes a, it's mine, I deserve it, and I don't have to do anything for it. What are the logical uh, strings? Right. And I'm not saying that the strings even have to be onerous. I'm not saying you have to oh, drug no. test anybody or anything like that. You know, there's arguments for it and against it. Right. Because, you know, if nobody's been uh, convicted of a crime, should they be drug tested to receive federal money? That, that's a real tricky question. But on the other hand, you know, companies drug test all the time. But then again, those are also private companies. But the point is, though, when, you know, probably Israel is the only com- country that we have given money to that is legitimately and continuously grateful. Now, they're, they're also not unwilling to say, you know, go screw yourself when we get to be a little too bossy, but yeah. they also have the ability to, to protect themselves to a, to a great degree. And honestly, I'd rather go to war with Russia than, than Israel, uh, you know, unless we can carpet bomb them because, you know, we have so many more arms. Those are tough little bastards over there. Well, they're, yeah. they're, we are grateful allies. Yes, and we are grateful allies, but... You know, we rarely give money to allies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Most of most of the time, we, we, we work know. with our allies to give money together. Hopefully, even though yeah, we but often I mean, end know, up. How often do we give money to France or England or Germany? Not much. You know. Well, other than we pay the majority of the bills in NATO. Yes. Well, and I, that's where I was going to go with that too. Is that you know, on the other hand, we do pay most of the money for UN and NATO, and. Most of the countries that are involved in the UN, they look at us as you know, they, they come with their hand out. Right, hey, Uncle Sucker. Yeah, uh, we're, at we're least with NATO, you know, there is a benefit that we all see. Yeah. Um, it, well, you know, for a while there, it was very much a yeah, you know, is this really worthwhile? But of course, now that Putin is is yeah. you know feeling his oats, it, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're seen as the world's ATM, and there's very little thank yous in it. Right. Uh, and then, you know, again, to PJ's point, you think back a hundred years ago, uh, one of my, one of the episodes in our history that I find the most interesting that we talked about here on the show is that period of uh, right at the turn of the 20th century, and, and we talked about uh, McKinley and John Hay and the idea of the open door note, you know, to, for about China policy. The open door note was exactly kind of that. It's a note. All it was was John Hay just kind of stating a principle of we'd like to see equal access to China and no no carving it up like Africa. <coughs> so that yes. had no real force. It wasn't a treaty. It wasn't an international agreement of any kind. But our power nascent as it was, was respected enough worldwide that other nations went, you know what, we're going to go along. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not happily, but we don't want to piss off the Americans. And so we're, we're, we're going to go along with this idea of China's open to everybody, 
We're not going to carve it up into little pieces like we did Africa. Okay. We're cool, America. Nowadays, could we publish something like that and not have, you know, two years of talk somewhere about it? No. Everybody go, pull it out your ass. Well, even if they agreed to it, they wouldn't actually uh, abide by it. They would cheat on it in a minute. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily the fact that we've paid out the money that has caused this. There is a strong correlation, though. Yeah. Correlation is not necessarily causation, but there is a correlation. Yeah, once you start being the world's ATM, then like you said, it becomes an entitlement, and there's no gratitude for entitlements. Nope. You're just giving me what I'm supposed to have. Right. Why should I be thankful for that? It's inherent in the nature of the the term. You know, and like I said, I'm absolutely not against helping out people who need it. But... Yeah. I'm, I'm very much there needs to be a quid pro quo. Yeah, with with domestic assistance, uh, they should be this should be targeted stuff. It shouldn't just be this blank. Let's shovel money out about stuff. Well, that's all the government really knows how to do, though. Yeah. Shovel money anymore. Shovel money. It's like you know what? We need to be hanging on to some of this dough and targeting relief when there's when when the economy is bad. Don't just shovel money out the door. And say, oh, well, you know, if we do this infrastructure, this is going to bring everybody back to work. Well, maybe for a year or so, but that's not permanent stuff. Well, infrastructure only covers a small segment of the economy to begin with. Yeah. Very true. Construction is not 60% of the economy or something. No. You're not going to rise and fall on whether cities are building bridges or not. And, you know, you think, well, let's make something. Well, we're no longer a manufacturing economy anymore either. Uh, in a way, giving people money to spend is the only way that government can directly affect the economy in a, in a short term. Uh, it's broken windows economics. Yeah. And that's a failure. We know that's a failure. Did you make that up or did you steal that? That's stolen. Broken window economics. Okay, good. That's a, that's a theory in economics. All right. Well, okay, it's better for things to be a disaster because then we got stuff to spend money on. And it'll promote all this economic activity. I was, I was uh, giving you the opportunity to take credit for that, and you honorably did not. There's somewhat of a corollary to that, too, to this broken window economics. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, in the Tipping Point, oh, yes, talks about a very this. famous book. Mm-hmm. So it, it did studies where it, areas where homes and buildings and uh, uh, factories were abandoned, when all of the windows were fixed, things actually improved. Nothing, Nothing else changed, but they they got rid of the broken windows. They put in you know you know unboarded things where they're boarded. Put in regular windows, and things changed. And you treat that you treat that with respect because that seems whole. Yeah. Whereas something that's boarded up or already is damaged, you're like, well, what difference does more damage do? Exactly, and that's why it's one of those tipping points we was talking about in that book. Is it just a simple thing? Getting rid of graffiti. Getting rid of yeah. I mean, just cleaning up graffiti is a simple thing that, or, or punishing graffiti when possible. You know, once it's there, there's nothing to stop from going downhill more. Right. So this um, stuff's got to get cleaned up. Are you listening, Mayor Greenberg? Yeah, I, I, I have lamented many times the, the, the destruction in uh, Detroit, you know, being 
from, from uh, actually, actually literally born in Detroit. Detroit. Uh, you know, uh, my family lived, lived in the suburbs uh, almost all of my life. Um, you know, it's, it's actually a good thing that the, these buildings have all been raised because you're getting rid of drug dens and crack houses and uh, meth labs and you're replacing it granted with, you know, it might only be one house left on the block, but that neighborhood is inherently better when they get rid of those buildings. Yes. Uh, even though it looks bad, it's way better still. That's the lesson this town needs to learn before it gets much worse. Because we've got this right now, this idea of, well, sympathy for these people that are outdoors. Look, I get it. Try to house them. But you can't let these camps go wild. You can't. It's inherently dangerous just from the human aspect of it. You know, there's a reason we don't currently live in tents. They're not safe for continual habitation. Right. They're not safe from a physical safety standpoint. They're not safe from a health standpoint. They are not safe from a weather standpoint. Right. And then beyond that, then you have that whole, well, if the government is going to let downtown get treated like a toilet, why should we come down there? Exactly. Well, and that's part of the thing. down there for all these things and sports and entertainment and all that. Well, guess what? We're not coming because as soon as we get off the expressway, we're in the middle of junkie town. But you know what? That's the that's a bad argument to use specifically in this town because that's the whole point of trying to move them over to that plot that they want to set aside as as homeless town. Homeless town, yeah, junkie town, whatever you want yeah. to call it. Uh, is because people get off the expressway and they see all of these people gathered in the underpass. But why are they in, in the underpass? Precisely because the tents don't work as a long-term solution. It's where they get uh, protection from the elements, and it's going to be warmer under yeah. there. Yeah. And But on the other hand, it's also more dangerous because you got all this mix of people that are in various states of mental capacity intoxication. and intoxication and all these other things. And, you know, it's just... yeah. Uh, the one on Jacob Street that is built up underneath Interstate 65, that's the one I'm most concerned about. Not only is it just drastically horrific looking, uh, you know, if you, were, if you were thinking about having a business, moving your business to Louisville, well, the Broadway exit is one of the ones you're going to get off of the interstate coming from the airport. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see that and you're going to go, well, maybe I'll give Nashville a call. Maybe yeah. I'll give Indianapolis a call. The second thing is, in this weather, they have built fires overnight, all the time. One of these days, those fires are going to spread to the tents. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I'm amazed it has not already happened, because the tents are all up along the uh, embankment to the expressway, all on the sidewalk, and it's going to be a horrific loss of life, and everybody will be crying about it, and it's like, well, yeah, but you let it happen. You let it happen. You want to you do an investigation, and why did this happen? It happened because you let these people here in these tents. Clear but, this stuff out. Let me play devil's advocate, Mr. Libertarian. Uh-huh. Um, the only way that you change that is you're going to have to force these people. Yeah. 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 You're going to have to clear it, and you're going to have to get there before that restarts. 
and keep it cleared out. Right. So, I mean, this is a massive government intervention. Relocation. Well, concentration. There is housing. There is, you know, the the other tent place, again, is, is a monitored and controlled location. You have to check in and out of the one. The city spent a million bucks on pallets and tents, and there's 48 of them or something. It's over... Uh, it's a little to the east of the expressway. It's mm-hmm. not visible right from the expressway. Um, so that's the, they have that transitional housing going. Such as it is. I mean, it's there's, not really housing, but yes. But it, it's a transitional spot to get you into other stuff. And there's other housing available. The problem, though, is that... Uh, and this is true not, everywhere where there's a homeless issue. It's yeah. not just here. Is that you can make somebody leave their tent, even if you bring all their crap with them, but that rarely happens. Yeah. Uh, when they're forced out, you know, they're just gathered up and then everything is just bulldozed into, into a trash pile. Um, you have to, there's no way to guarantee that they will stay unless it becomes a lockup. Yeah. So even, though, even if you move them into an actual apartment, yeah. they, most of them won't, they don't want that. Well, That's, even if they did, they're. They're more likely to burn down the apartment building, a good number of them. Yeah, because, right. you know, they're not used to cooking it with a stove. They're not going to be able to buy groceries, you know, with that. So, Like it or not, nonconformity amongst the population, a percentage, will always be with us. How we treat them says less about how they are than about how we are. Yeah, there's not really a, a good solution that I can see for any of it. Um, but yeah, it's there are problems with the government approaches. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it, it, it often it, exacerbates it, the problems it's trying to solve. Yeah, it, you have to solve what you can. You can't necessarily change the attitudes, or you might not even be able to get them off of whatever they're on. But you can keep the city cleaned up, and you can keep them at least somewhat safe. Because right now the situation under Jacob Street is, is strictly not safe, and it's 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 a huge mess. Honestly, I don't I don't know that I agree that you can do either of those things ultimately. Yeah. Not without incarceration. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't I, I don't know that you can do. Uh, and nobody wants to talk about yeah. that because yeah. you're talking about reenacting vagrancy laws. Yeah. That is right. the way you well, can, yeah, incarcerate them for what? For what crime? You have to yeah. create the crime yeah. for them to be right. uh, well, subject it's, it's to it. Vagrancy laws, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, either that or you have to commit them and you know put the ones that should be under you know, mental care back into the system. Yeah. But that's a huge expense. A that's system a huge, that's already overloaded yeah. and underfunded to begin with. Right. And that's a huge driver of people on the street is, is the end of involuntary commitment. Yeah. Um, or some kind of assistance they either no longer qualify for, or whatever. Yeah. You know, because a lot of these guys are veterans, and you know, not all of them, obviously, but you know, veterans. The fact that we have a huge veteran homeless population itself is damning. Yeah. Um, but and like you said, there's there's an element of nonconformity to this too that is some people don't want to be helped. Right. I mean, that was in. I will not forget this. It was in one of the local TV stations with their article about these homeless camps, um, you know, on their website. They interviewed somebody who said, you know, we, we get housing. We, get, we have money. We get a check. We just don't want to fool with it. 
In other words, we don't want to be responsible for paying taxes and paying our bills like regular people do. We'd rather right, because you know, having a house, that creates a whole lot of obligations. That's correct. Um, Even having an apartment. Tax. A house or an apartment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And having an actual home creates an awful lot of obligations. Yeah. An awful lot of responsibilities you have to take care of. Even if it's just paying your utilities, your yeah. rent, your water bill, your cable. So unless we're willing to pick up the bill for all of that, and even then, I don't know that, that it's a solvable issue. Yeah. Uh, these people just said, we'd rather just, you know, we'd rather live in a tent. We'll just move on to the next spot. Because we just don't want the obligations. We don't want to What do you do with that? I mean, literally, what do you do with that? It's either you kick them out, you forcibly make them leave the city like would have been done 100 years ago. Yeah. Or you incarcerate. Literally, I think that is the only thing. You force them out. Or you incarcerate them, which is forcing them out, but then you take care of the problem. Well, like, you know, your other option is, okay, we're just going to not have services. We're just not going to spend any money on this. And That'll never happen. Yeah. Ignore this. It just and, ignore and, it and hope and it goes away. Clean up the camps and tell people you're not welcome here. Go to Nashville. Go to Indianapolis. Go to Florida. We don't care. Get out. Well, unless you make them leave, what you're doing is I think that you would end up creating more crime because that's what I think that's what would happen. They would turn to crime. They would, uh, you would see a lot of a lot more assaults on people. You know, people beg now. I think it would get forcible if, if you stop giving them any kind of money. Again, there's no good solution. Yeah. You know, and, and part of part of this too is, you know, a few hours at the bottom of an expressway ramp is all cash income. Yes, it is. You know, it's non-taxed, unknown to the government cash income that you can do whatever with. Yeah, which you know makes a whole lot of guilty uh, guilty liberals feel good about themselves for giving money to the homeless. Which yeah, it may help some of them. But a lot of times, you look at those guys, it is not going for food and housing. Just not happening. No. No. Um, and again, you know, conservatives do it too. I, you know, I don't mean to, to make that just so. Because, you know, people feel guilty in general when they see that. Yeah. Anyway, I've taken up half the episode. Who do you think you are, Francis? I know, I didn't mean to do that at all. Thank you, Paul. I did not think we would get that kind of mileage out of this PJ. But then I launched into the tirade about where's the money, Zelensky? Uh, so well, it's a valid question though. You get, again, you can apply that to the homeless situation. Where's the money? It is. It's, when, it's the same tangle in government. Yeah. You know, it's the same. It's a government program whether it's helping Ukraine, supposedly helping, or supposedly helping the homeless. Where's the money? Where did it all go? You know, it's like Reagan said. You know, one of the most uh, uh, fearsome words in the English language. Hi, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Yeah. Yeah, that means we're going to cost everybody a heck of a lot of money. And not solve anything. And and not know where it goes. Not know where it goes. Francis, man, I have taken up 30-some minutes here, so... No, no, that comes after you. Oh, I was going to say, so I was going to say... Because that's the oh. palate cleanse before we go into... Oh, okay, all right. Well, then I was going to suggest a bourbon break, but I guess we can go on this. I'm going off the reservation, literally. Can we say that still? Sure, it's become part of our part of our I think lexicon. That's cultural appropriation. Well, it is what it is. No, not in this hey, case. Hey, people show up with picket signs outside Studio F. Don't blame us. We're trying to warn you. Well, because it is a, it is a segue into who I'm quoting from. 
Oh, you want, you're going with I'm, go, I'm going to go with this one here. I'm going to go with a non-quote. A quote that probably didn't happen. We have no idea it's what happened. It's a paraphrase happened. of what did happen. I it's, guarantee it's, that. That's it's correct. Like something was said. We just don't know what it was. All right. Because. Now, what was where, the historical t-shirts is where we found this. Please. All right. You can get all sorts of really cool different quotations from various historical people on t-shirts that may or may not have been true. This one here probably was not. But as Robert so pointed out, something like this got said. And the quotee, the, the individual who said this, is George Armstrong Custer uh, at Little Bighorn with his 7th Cavalry. And the quotation he that is, that is assigned to him, which we can all agree on, was simply two words, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yep. Yes. Faced with unbelievable, unexpected uh, opposition, he says those magic words, uh-oh. Yes, yes, there's, there's probably, probably a colorful, colorful uh, expletive in there as well, but yes. <laughs> That's good. Because sooner or later, he had to know this, you know, your butt is toast. He, he, had, to, he had to see that at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, <coughs> despite all the uh, movies, like the Errol Flynn movie that tried to portray him as, you know, this heroic you know, Custer's Last Stand that we've seen in the movies and all that stuff, and in all the... Uh, the uh, newspaper accounts at, at the time, and even some many of this historically researched information about the guy, there's no question at one point you have to realize that, you know, your number is up, buddy. He kind of got what he deserved. He, he kind of did, yes. He was putting a stick through the bars that didn't need to be, he didn't need to be agitating uh, those folks. That well, that, and I think that's, uh, continue, brother, because I think that's exactly where uh, I'm, I'm going to land on this anyway. I think that was yeah. the most useless uh, entire concept that went on. Yeah. Uh, and if you study the Battle of Little, Little Bighorn at any length at all, and I've been there, I've driven that ground, uh, it should never have happened. Uh, it really wasn't. It wasn't the, the, the tensions that were going on at mm-hmm. the time did not warrant what what the United States government yeah, I mean, they, put forth. Yes, the U.S. response was basically burn everything to the ground. That's right. And it, it was, you know, it was, you know, take your cowboys and burn them down, Ike, kind of response, you know, and it wasn't necessary. Well, wasn't that, necessary. that's exactly right. Well, I mean, you know, you can take it, depending on how far back you want to go, uh, you can make the argument, no, what we were doing was not appropriate uh, appropriate response to anything. Yeah. But on the other hand, you can also make the argument was their response to the, to the situation appropriate. You can make based on past history. Oh hell yes. Yeah. You know what else would they? Because if we were in their shoes, we would have done exactly the same damn thing. Yeah. There's there's a very interesting military aspect to the battle. Uh, one of those, you know, firepower over accuracy mm-hmm. kind of debates that uh, you have sometimes in military circles, but uh, Custer's troopers armed mm-hmm. with um, I believe the term was a trapdoor Springfield, forty-five seventy. Right. Very high caliber potent reach out to three, four hundred yard type ammunition, but single shot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you're cycling in action, reloading, Firing, cycling in action, reloading. And they used those tactics, spread the guys out, mm-hmm. hit the natives at distance. Right. Problem was, being outnumbered, couldn't get them all. 
Right. And the natives were using... Not just outnumbered, but very quickly surrounded. Yes, the natives were using Winchesters. Right. Right, repeating carbines. Repeating carbines. So they couldn't reach out to the same distance, but much more firepower. Right. Quantity has a quality all its own. Once they were inside the perimeter of that reach out and touch you weapon of the 4570, they had an advantage. The firepower advantage. um, And that... You know, led to the wipeout of the Seventh Cavalry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, it was uh, it was a perfect storm of disaster for for Custer for a lot of reasons. You know, not the least of which is you have these. Uh, this wasn't just one tribe. You know, they had so pushed and yeah. pushed and pushed mm-hmm. that these tribes had traditional animosities and rivalries. Set that all aside. You know. To, to bloody the nose of the U.S. government, and they had been provoked highly yes. up to this point, yes. and that's part of the backstory that really should be understood. Is yes, they had been provoked from really from the French and Indian War on, right? Yeah, yeah. particularly the Seventh uh, Custer Seventh Cavalry, very much guilty of just oh yes, walking up to villages, shooting everything that moved and and wandered off. Yeah. Which is ironic because he was also one who tried to make peace with many of the natives. They called him, you know. Uh, flame hair, uh, you know the, the the sun of the morning star. I mean, he he at at one part of himself he wanted to be this great peacemaker that brought peace to this to the area. But he was a glory hound too. That's exactly where I was going. It's right. I, I don't think that was quite genuine. I think whatever got his name in the papers is what he would do. Well, yeah, yeah. And therein lies ultimately the seeds of yes. his own defeat. Uh, that I that I think is is a fascinating study. Uh, from the boy general who uh, wasn't, I don't think he was all that clever. He was not near the strategist or tactician that the legend created for him right. after the fact. Yeah, right. uh, he was gallant and brave and good looking. They made good yes. copy of the papers. Well, that's it. That, well, and which, you know, he was very middling in his West. Which kind of goes, kind of goes to the point I'm trying to make is how it's 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 the Kardashian syndrome. All you need is the looks and the press, and you can be you can go a long you way can go a long press. way on yeah. good press. And that's well, you know he did have the accomplishments of the Civil War. Yeah, you know I mean he did uh, route Stewart's cavalry at he Gettysburg. He did. That is no mean feat. Now, granted, is not exactly catching Stewart on his best day. Yeah. Correct, but you see, there were so many things that took place after that. Yes, yeah, so I'm just saying, you know, he's got he's got that as a starting point. He actually had a real accomplishment as a starting point, and then of course from that point on, the war was essentially over. The question was when and where. Well, and so many, but so many of those generals uh, on on either side, I suppose, but in Union in particular, distinguished themselves with far greater notoriety than he did. Yes, it was but the, again, he and his wife were very keenly aware of his reputation. Libby was a big. She was his biggest promoter. Well, and that's and, and therein goes back to that good press item here. Yeah. Uh, you can you can basically have nothing to say if you look good enough and have somebody that writes well about you. Well, and you know, I'll call that the Kardashian syndrome. And you know, when you think about the time, obviously there is no soundbite. There's no, no YouTube video to catch him doing anything wrong. And the journalists of the day were more than willing to cooperate because it made good press. Well, that's it. So papers. There's no Twitter to go back and see that he said something awful about somebody. Yeah, 400 years ago. You know, it's, yeah. So, 
he was born at a time where somebody like him could easily make themselves even more famous than they already were due to the position he had. And, you know, he was hunting the Red Man and Americans north and south saw that, because especially the Southerners, you know, they didn't, they're going to look at anybody who's not a white man as somebody who needs to be subjugated. Well, that's it's very. And I'm glad you brought that up because, in many respects, the uh, the tragedy of Little Bighorn as a crucible and an expansion of all the Indian Wars, which were in you know unconscionable, awful on our part, have their birthplace in many respects in two places. One is in Southern slavery, but second in the Civil War itself, because we have we we've had an institution for hundreds of years that speaks that some individuals who do not look like us are subhuman and must be either conquered or destroyed, as well as the fact that we like going out and beating the snot out of those that don't look like us. Yeah, that's a human thing, not just in America. Well, that's correct, but it has been fed to the point where it is a monster coming out of 1865, and you have all these individuals uh, moving west, mind you, Yes, that have, the irony is that you know no small number of members of, of not just cowboys, but the Union armies that would be in the West would have had some Confederate veterans. That's correct, and the, even if they weren't, if they, even if they were strictly Union, they have been bloodied at this point uh, by what if if not personally, then certainly collaboratively, corporately, uh, by what they do. And I mean, I, the entire concept, Little Bighorn, is just like I say, a crucible of a larger issue that you're right we have been we, we have mercy on us lord for we have sinned well and to go back to your quote you know yes it's very tongue-in-cheek it, it is but it, and it's uh, brief and but, brevity is the soul of wit you know to me that quote what makes it even though it's it's most certainly did not say uh oh he said something else i'm sure but it is the sudden realization that everything you have done to this point has gotten you to where you are. Mm -hmm. And, and he, it's not a good place to be. And it's not a good place to be. Now, he may or may not have had that kind of an epiphany, because that's pretty self-aware. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure that Custer was that deeply self-aware. I'm not sure he would even have had the time Well, at that moment, because he's more concerned I mean, with... Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. at some so, point... There has been to have been a moment when he rode up to his second, or a second rode up to him, and they started looking down that hill and went... Oh, that's not looking good. It's like, wait a minute, how many different Indian tribes are represented over there? Oh, wow. We've massacred every one of those lately. Yeah. It, it, it's a classic, you know, reap what you sow, wages of sin. Comeuppance. Yeah, sort yeah. of deal. Uh, the Seventh Calvary. Yeah, and in many respects, he stood in place of the entire United States that pushed that forward. Uh, and ironically and tragically and unconscionably, we sainted him for it. We martyred, we let him, we turned him into a martyr instead of, I, I think that we have, uh, re, we have reconsidered that in the last year and 150 years. There's always a danger of turning a dumbass into a martyr. Yes. Interesting. Very well, very well put. That's right. Uh, yeah, that's very pithy, but, uh, you know, honestly, uh, very. Very true. Yeah, I mean, it fits as much as you know. We would hate to admit it because yeah, Custer's seen as a great American hero. Uh, but really, when you think about it, nah. the guy gets massacred. Why is he a hero? He well, that's right. On himself. That's right. Exactly. I mean, other than the fact that you know, yes, he was he was ambushed by these who were people were considered the enemy. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and gave his life in defense of his country. Well, that's all bullshit. Yeah, yeah but the country, I mean, the last part. The country wasn't threatened by these individuals. Sorry. No, 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 not happening. No. no. It, was, it was a campaign to just see a land that isn't even to this day really all that super occupied. Well, there was uh, the Black the Black Hills was considered to be a place where gold could be found at that time, because some had been discovered there. That's what, which in in and of itself is simply a, a ginned up method to say let's go to war and massacre these people, uh, instead of assimilating and, and trying to, to, to share. Well, yeah, and, you know the stereotype of of the raping, pillaging, drunk Indians. Uh, you know, that's what was played up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even though the you know the drinking and the pillaging and the raping was probably done more on, uh, at this time, certainly done, I'm sure, by Custer's men and other members of the the army who were sent out there, because that's just what they did then. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's what armies tend to do in those kinds of situations. It's a it's a sad fact, and the fact that we try to limit that nowadays is a testament to how far we've come, uh, because. You know, generals find out about that stuff, at least in the U.S. and most civilized countries. That shit don't fly. Not no. anymore. Well, it used even thousands of years ago. I mean, uh, you catch that going on. And depending on, I mean, Shakespeare writes about it in Henry V. Blob a church, we're hanging you. I mean, right. it happens. Well, yes, there were standards. It depended entirely, not entirely, but to a good deal, uh, to the, whether or not the, the city you were in, investing, trying to siege, uh, resisted. If they resisted past the point at which they should have, then all holds were barred. You know, well, nothing, only thing it happened no as recently barred. as the Peninsula War. I mean, Badajoz, which is a great Spanish fort uh, that led that Wellington besieged for so long, they resisted for a long period of time. And even Wellington himself said once they broke in, he couldn't stop them. Right. Uh, and now, they by the next day, he had control. But that night that they broke in, a lot of things happened that Wellington did not permit. He was. He very right. much held his troops was, in control. It was very much about what are your goals here? What are, what's the objective? But traditionally, though, leaders of armies, if a city surrendered, yeah, showing a token resistance to, to be able to save their honor, uh, they would often be limited in you know in the harm that would come to them. Yeah, and there would be a negotiated uh, yes. surrender. And yes, and, you know there would be some. Destruction of property because that's always going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, but it's very minimized. There's very little raping and pillaging. And yeah, and most and of the time, you're depending. probably never going to get rid of that historically. But you know, nowadays, yeah, no, we don't. Well, it takes mm-hmm. brutal discipline to prevent, right. and Wellington was not shy about that. I mean, he'd hang them quickly, yeah. uh, and that uh, he was he was very very brutal. Yeah. Uh, he had to be. Uh, uh, Bonaparte was less so. He was one that would kind of encourage that. He wanted fear. Uh, well, it's because he had that Napoleon complex. Yeah. Well, it worked to his advantage. Because Correct. It meant the next city right. would give in. That's right, right, and that's part of the reasoning behind yeah. it. Yeah. Burn you know, one, the next two or three. Well, yeah, but he was—he was a conqueror, and Wellington was a liberator. And it's, it seems semantics, but ultimately that was their philosophies when they went into this: yeah. is that no, we are taking back what is ours, and we're freeing you. And they ultimately they did. You know, yeah. they didn't stick around. They made sure that things were secure and went on. But anyway, we've we've delved into. I, know, I, I feel like I've uh, abdicated my captainly duties here. Let's take a bourbon break at, at the fifty minute mark. And again, shout out to Spraga in NYC, our new fan and new friend of uh, Snakes and Otters. Um, we told you don't be afraid 
of inexpensive bourbons. And I just polished off uh, the last of Francis's Henry McKenna, mm-hmm. which is what, like an 18, 17, 18? Uh, yeah, about, about to, uh, slightly under 20 bucks. That's right. And very good. It was recommended when I purchased it. Yeah. Uh, I was. I don't remember the location I was at, but I was asked, and I was just. We just happened to be talking with uh, one of the individuals. Said, "Oh, well, here's what you need to try." Yeah. Uh, because for the price, uh, we get a lot of feedback on that from lots of customers that really, really like that. Uh, and so we did, and uh, we have not been disappointed. But please. Uh, it's smooth. Uh, nice sweetness. Uh, the sweetness is uh, almost kind of a brown sugar. And it balances the uh, oakiness and the and the woodsiness of it really well. Really nice. Uh, quite a hit for like you know eighteen bucks or nineteen. Whatever sure, it and is. you know that's one of the things I do like the fact about the fact. Of course, we don't go uber expensive, but we vary our price point all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean we've we've had the fifty dollars, sixty dollars bottles, and we've had the you know fifteen dollars bottles. Well, even a sixty dollars bottle is really at the low end of an expensive bourbon. Oh, absolutely, that's correct. Yeah, we're too cheap to go anything beyond the $60 bottle. Yeah, I mean, mostly. if I had the, the $50 Old Forester Statesman or something, is, is going to be... Or, well, the Double Oak is a $60. Yeah, that's special. Yeah, that's, about, that's about as much yeah, of an yeah, expense as we get. big for us. You know, so, at some point, we need to pool in our money, you know, throw in $30, $40 bucks a piece, and just go buy the most expensive bourbon we can find with that money and do that for that month's shows. I, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that idea. Yeah. So... Uh, another shout out to Sprague. Don't be afraid of inexpensive bourbons. So you guys poured the same, the same. thing, right? Again, we did. We are finishing off uh, the last. Of, so we finished off five bottles today, right? We have. That's correct. Now, that doesn't mean we drank five whole bottles of bourbon today because we would all be uh, passed out dead drunk. And, and have a very poor showing on the podcast. Yes. yes. Um, and that can't be. We might not know the difference. Right. It might be even funnier, at least to us. That's right. Uh, but, yeah, so there's very little. Just enough for us to each have a couple of snoots out of the I had bottles. several on, on the shelf. I'm saying, guys, let's let's wipe this clean. I think right, we did a similar thing at my place uh, a couple of sessions, uh, a couple of terms ago at my yeah, place. Finish off Francis's bottle. So, like I said, we, I finished Henry McKenna. We finished Old Barge. Uh, over mm-hmm. now on the 1897, uh, which is uh, what uh, interestingly enough, I mean, this is a hundred proof versus the 115 because this is meant to be the bottled in bond, correct? This version. is the first it's version, 1897 is the date of the bottled in bond act. That's right, and that's what this is. This is designed to be that type of thing. Is in other words, the quality is very smooth, universal, and straight. Right, uh, it's, it's a, a consistency bottle to bottle at one hundred proof. That's right. correct, and and I, you know, other than maybe the the age or whether or not they want to go through the the um, the process, I would say probably most bourbons meet the bottled and bond standard nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not all of them have it, but this is a historic bourbon for the for the reason that you know it's because old forces we found out they're the distillery that caused the act to be. To come and yeah, they were it. Yeah. Because they were trying to get bourbon uh, consistency across the country, which is fascinating. Well, sales, the first yeah. bottled stuff. Yeah, you know, and they'd be shipped out in barrels that could be adulterated. That's a very good work. Very good work, and that's and the, and as they explained to us uh, on Saturday, the further away from the production point you get, 
the more likely for shenanigans to be happening. Yes. And it's the, it's the ultimate quality control. All right. It's ultimately a quality control measure yes. that, and, and a branding measure, which yes. is long, long before that was even a word, most likely. Branding in those days meant what you did to cows. So uh, I want to point something out. So what Sam described, you know, at every point where uh, one of these barrels of bourbon went through, uh, so it gets loaded on the, the sea boat, the flat boat, you know, the captain's going to siphon off the equivalent of a couple of bottles out of, if not every barrel and several, then when it's unloaded and sits on the dock, somebody's going to do the same. And at each point, they're putting something else back in. Yeah. Whether it's water or tobacco juice from the spittoons yeah. or whatever. Most of that probably happened at the end it, destination. That stuff happened at the end. Right. So you never know. I mean, it could have been tea, coffee, whatever. And that's not unlike what you were talking about. I don't need to go into my hammering just yet, but I just wanted to point this out. Well, you can. Um you know, it's not unlike what we were talking about with the where's where did the money go? What what did it get sent on? Because we talked about the graph and corruption. Where did my bourbon go? It's exactly the same thing. You send all this bourbon somewhat anonymously because you know there's no way to control it after it leaves, um, and it's in these barrels that can because it's meant to be put into other things. Other things. Well, that, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the things we learned uh, on Saturday is in those days it's not sold by the bottle. Right. It's sold by the barrel. So, yeah. and, and you put it in your own bottles. bottles. There's no real like retail. No, no, it's all Havers, wholesale. Yeah, taverns and bars. They're, they're buying the buy, buying the the barrels. There to get a bottle's worth. That's right. exactly right. And who knows what was in it by that point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you know, how did the bourbon get spent, so to speak? Uh, is the question? Yeah. Uh, but this this 1897. Uh, one thing I noticed is uh, it, it is similar to the 1920. Uh-huh. Uh, but before the ice had a chance to melt very much in this, because mm-hmm. it sifted almost immediately, uh, you get that, uh, not quite explosion of flavor, but you get that, that definite sweetness immediately with right. this, unlike you do with the 115 of the 1920. Uh, this comes in immediately. The uh, oakiness, the char, uh, has, has more of that char kind of aftertaste. So like with the 1920, it's kind of peppery. To me, this feels more oaky, smoky. Uh, not oaky, I, you know, oaky and somewhat smoky. All right. So you get a little bit of the, the char at the end. At the end, after the sweetness. After, oh, definitely after the sweetness. After. And, and this is not as potent. It's not intended. Oh, no, yeah, it's not intended to be. The other, the 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 nineteen twenty, it stays with you. There's a burn associated with. It. There's no burn with this at all. Not a rice. To me, there is. The, the, it's not not a burn in the in the case of like your. Your nostrils start tingling, or no? I couldn't figure out how to shut it off on the phone on the watch. Um, yeah, we gotta speak to you about that watch. I know. Um, you know, there's not a, a a burn in the sense that you can feel that uh, that stinging or that uh, uh, definite. Um, Sting is a good word. Yeah. See, yeah. Uh, but that, Tang, that flavor, twang, yeah. Uh, and actually, I think Sam called it the Kentucky. Uh, what do you call it? The Kentucky uh, kiss. No, that's what we we call it Kentucky kiss and Kentucky hog. He had a different term for it. The chew is when you Kentucky it chew, yeah. and you move it around your mouth. I thought he called something Kentucky something. Maybe it was Kentucky chew. Kentucky chew. Is that what he called? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So so 
That's that's what you're supposed to do. That's your action when you bring it into your mouth. You move it around your mouth. That's called the Kentucky Chew. How it makes you feel and giving you that tingle on the face in the mouth, that's the Kentucky Kiss. Yes. And then that warmth down that's the esophagus, that's your Kentucky Yeah, hug. and you definitely get a very mild Kentucky <laughs> hug. Very much this. so, yeah. Yeah, which I like. I like the Kentucky hug yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, but in the mouth stays that oaky And that's probably flavor. the rye content. Then is the given, warmth, you think? I think so. That's the peppery. Well, I don't the think I don't feel it peppery. No, I, yeah. not not the eighteen ninety seven. Now no. the nineteen twenty had a little of that. No, yeah. I think that's just the effect of of uh, the alcohol itself and how it's okay. how it's done. I don't think that's a, a rye thing because we haven't had a whole lot of bourbons that have had rye in it. Uh, to the my high, knowledge, yeah, the high rye content. And, and so, and, but there's a lot of bourbons that have that uh, that warmth. Yeah. So, but anyways, yeah, eighteen ninety seven, another very good bottle yeah. uh, none of the old foresters have been a disappointment yeah. none of so Sprague, you will have to lay out a little bit more dough to get these uh year brands of old forester they're running about 48 to 52 depending on when you get them on sale and that's kentucky prices i don't know what they'll be in nyc but but you know if you're not flying uh or if you haven't flown because by the time you hear this you will be back in new york probably yeah uh, but yeah, hopefully you. Uh, I thought her she's going to need one suitcase just for the burgers she picked up here, right? And one suitcase just for the soft drinks she picks up here, right? Al eight one, and she was going to take back to uh, to NYC. Yep, yep, yep. Kentucky's own soft drink, Al eight one. Yeah, it makes a good mixer too. Very good mixer. No, I, I do prefer my burners, but all right. that, that, that was so, great. She was like, Sprigga, you were a ton of fun. I hope you get to hear these episodes, and I, I hope you had a good time. Uh, house sitting in Kentucky, and maybe you'll come back sometime. Yeah. You can always email us, uh, Spraga. I've been meaning to tell you this. You got to email us, uh, snakeshunterspodcast at gmail.com or or Martin Robert Francis at snakesandotters.com. Right. That's three email addresses. We have our own Francis at snakesandotters, Martin at snakesandotters, and, and, and Robert. Please check out the blog, snakesandotters.com. You're mentioned on there as well. All right. So I hope you hear these episodes. She's our first super fan. Yeah, we'll that's what I, I would. That be. A, I would love to get an email from her. I think that would be, that would be awesome. We'll have to, that'd yeah. be amazing. So. Uh, all right. right. So uh, hammer time. Yeah, hammer so let's time. Let's move this along, Robert. Get get at it. So, um, I found. I think I found a quote that perfectly ties the sentiment behind each of your quotes. To oh, big okay. surprise! Well, this was challenging. So, so this is from Stephen Covey. Okay, uh, yeah. I wrote the Seven Habits book. Very habits. much so, yes. Yeah, successful people thing. Uh, it says, I am not a product of my circumstances. I am a product of my decisions. Ooh, love that. Ooh, love that, yes. Love that. So, you know, I, I, obviously I love I have this heard that quote. quote. Yes, it is a very famous quote, if I recall correctly. I love this quote in a general sense as, you know, one of those motivational kind of things because it reminds you that your circumstances, well, yes, there are some... Uh, you know, who you are, what yeah. what's going on in your life. Some of that, yes, is beyond your control. Yeah, things happen. Yeah. Kaka occurs. Yes. Uh, but on the other hand, you are mostly a product of the decisions you make. What you choose to do. Yes. How, how you, you choose, choose to respond to the things, things that happen around you. Do you choose to be positive? Do you choose to be right. negative? Do you choose to take the high road or the low road? Yeah. Do you choose to lash out or reach out? Yeah. You know, all of these things uh, make a difference in your true, um, 
your true circumstances, you know, not just the environment you find yourself in. And I, to me, this it's a great reminder uh, in general to me that my thoughts, the decisions I make, the things I think are paramount to control. You know, emotions are very difficult to control uh, in the sense that a lot of times they are triggered and they happen. Now, you can let them run rampant, and yes, that's... But, you know, the initial burst of in a particular emotion is almost impossible to control. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you respond to those kind of things, yes. Um, how you respond to the things that happen around you, yes. That is under your control. Uh, if you choose not to control, if you choose to just give in, to me, that's almost always giving in to the negative form of any response. Because you're indulging in a narcissistic response in that respect, in my opinion. Now, you might be able to come up with an example where that's not the case. Um, but, you know, because the, the implication is that, is that if you're just giving in, by, by default, that's a negative response to your circumstances. You know, it's very rarely, you know, you're not just going to have to give in to a pleasurable response. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not the way we view that. Uh, so now applying it to you guys. So um, you guys. Oh, I forgot. Mar- Martin and, and, and what was your quote again? Mine. Uh, I said Martin. Oh, that's what I said. Because he went first. A hundred years ago, when foreign aid was unthought of, we were a respected and admired nation. After a century of philanthropy, everyone hates our guts. Right. So very good. And then Francis, yours was simply. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah. Uh, so to me. This encapsulates both in the sense that, all right, we have chosen to just give out a crap ton of money for the last hundred years. Whether it works or not. Whether it works or not, with no strings attached, uh, with no accountability, uh, either at home or abroad. And then abroad, everybody just comes back and wants more. Right. And, and gets pissed no off if yeah. we try and turn off the, the spigot. Yeah. Uh, so, and that causes problems at home. So once you start giving, if you try to stop, uh, you know that foreign aid it, it it causes sometimes more problems than than you were trying to solve, uh, and as we talked about, sometimes that happens domestically too. When you know we just throw money at problems. I don't want to even put it in terms of you know helping people with with uh, welfare checks or whatever because that's even more granular. Yeah. Just this whole idea of well, there's a problem. Let's. You know, let's pass a two trillion dollar COVID relief bill and yes. see what happens. Here's here's a problem. Let's throw money at it. Maybe that'll work. And without think, you know, I've always I've always bristled at this, but generally the American first response of well, we need to do something about this is not a bad one. No, it, it shows a good heart. Yeah, but it's always Empathy. we need to do the right thing. We need to analyze this. Think about what's going to happen long term before we do something and we just don't we just don't well, anymore yeah we just here's some money whoosh well part of the problem is that you know build a bridge pour a road whatever unless it's a, a very localized problem like the the guy next door his house burns down yeah you know yeah i can help him because i'm gonna you know put a family up for the night or you know i know that fred wears the same size clothes i do here here's some shirts and some pants because you you got nothing but the underwear you're wearing yeah um, otherwise, all we can do is send in money to some central agency to try and help alleviate suffering. And so because now we, we tackle such large problems, 
not just statewide, but nationally and globally, that's all we can do from our perspective. And there's no control over that. And so the, the result is that, you know, that's our decision. We, we send money. And the product of that is, you know, the fact that everybody hates us. And we didn't send more. Because we didn't send more, or we didn't send it in a timely enough fashion, or whatever. Um, you know, we are the position we find ourselves vis a vis our relations with other countries, especially developing countries and poorer countries, is definitely because of this situation. We have sent money and we decide to either send more or less. So, how does that tie to Texas? Oh, that is even better. Okay. Ah, because if Custer hadn't been a dumbass going around slaughtering uh, Native Americans, they wouldn't have, tra- they wouldn't have uh, all gotten together and slaughtered his ass. He most definitely found himself in a situation that was a product of his own decisions. Yeah. I mean, that applies to him 100% more so than even your quote. Yeah, I mean, historically, as all those darn Indians massacred this poor innocent uh, Union officer. That's a total bunch of crap. crap. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, he know, brought it on himself. He shit in the pot, he's going to have to smell it. Uh, yep. It wasn't just his fault. I mean, he was part of a greater and larger movement on that. Well, yes, and certainly the but federal was, government did not, you know, look yeah, at what he was doing and say, "Oh man, maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you need to come home and let's yeah, talk about it." Let's reel it in, George. Reel it in. Uh, he was out there with no control of it because of the nature of communication. That well, and, yeah, and, and he, he was not. You know, his commander was actually out there. He just kind of blew him off. Yeah. You know, and he uh, a lot of that could have been avoided. If yeah. he were not such a glory hound, yeah, that's that's yeah. one of the things that, yeah. that contributed. Yeah. It's complicated. He ignored orders and just did his own thing. Yeah. Now, ultimately, because we're talking about a man in the military, you know, we can make the argument that it's not just his local commander, but it's uh, you know, commander in chief. Commander in chief. You know, I, I don't know that we we didn't have a, a joint chief of staff at this point, but we would have had a uh, general of the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would have been Sherman, Sherman or Sheridan. It would be no. It, it, it should have been. Ooh, uh, you're you're right. It's, Sheridan it's, followed Sherman. I want to say it was Sheridan that was in charge. Really, of this I thought Sherman was still that late. Yeah, and maybe so. Yeah, it was still one of the two. One of those two very experienced Sheridan generals. Was very very much a non-native. Correct. He, he yeah, he really was the one that really that was, instigated a lot of Sherman, the Indian wars. Sherman wasn't their buddy. Yeah. Sheridan was really let's burn everybody down. That's you're well, exactly you argument that Sherman's uh, approach to things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody in Atlanta will tell you that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, certainly the, the, those in government were not saying you know this is wrong policy. Yeah. So ultimately, from a moral standpoint, yes, but nobody was going to do that. But he he'd come out smelling like a rose once the press got a hold of it because he was a darling at the time. Yeah. And that's why he wouldn't have been <coughs> court-martialed anyways. He had already gotten into some trouble before on several of things. Well, that's kind of thing and they were slap on the wrists. Yeah. What had you know, if it gets to the point where, look, we can't have this anymore, George. Um, you know, We're going to send you to West Point and let you come down there for the next 10 years or something until you know you either decide to retire or whatever. Right. That, they, which would have been seen as a plum position. Yeah. Something like that. Because that doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah. But you can't hurt him. Well, I mean, you can. Because, I mean, think of what influence he could have had on the officers coming out of West Point. But at the time, it would have been seen as both a punishment and a plum assignment. It would have taken him out of active command, which which would have been seen as a punishment. And then he probably would have just done a year, maybe two. He would have gotten the opportunity for a private sector. Most likely. 
you know, some kind of... He could he have he also run for office, too. Some railroad is what would have happened. He would have brought into a railroad management position, something like that. Yeah. Which, which would have been, been probably just as disastrous. Like you said, run for office. Uh, he was from Ohio. Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, Michigan, but he yeah. spent a lot of time in Ohio. Yeah. Yes, well, that again... Consequences of his decisions. If he'd spent more time in Michigan, he probably would have been such an such an asshole. <laughs> oh, ouch! Yes, quite the bird on Ohio. Wolverines. Even though we lost, horn frogs. I was very gratified to see my anti-Big Ten bias confirmed over the weekend. <laughs> Talk to the hand. Talk yes, to the I've hand. Just giving Martin the hand. Okay. Not the finger, but the hand. SEC all the way, baby. Oh well, okay. I think you have uh, you have pounded that expired equine very well, sir. You have yes, that one was that was actually a very easy one. Uh, once I found that particular quote, because it really, it, you, know, you we I could probably use that quote in a lot of situations. Yes. Well, it's tied to many things we've already discussed. Yeah, because again, we we do talk about um, you know free will, a product of your decisions, being paralyzed by. You know, fear of outside events runs your life, and we're just no. You have agency. You can make a. You can direct your life. Yes. Yes, things are going to happen, but you can direct your life. You can decide. You know what? I'm going to give this writing thing a try. And whether anybody ever reads it or not, at least I can say I did it. I wrote seventy-five thousand words, or what you know, and and enjoy it, and just enjoy the process, and enjoy that you did it. Yep. Whether whether it happens for you or not, whether it ever sells or not, enjoy the process and do it and finish your shit. Finish your shit. Oh, absolutely. That's, yes, exactly. So, so paramount. Paramount. Yeah. Yes. Well, fellas, that's pretty awesome. Uh, Francis, buddy, what is next time? We're going to finally reach a point that we've been talking about for quite a few years. And we're going to go to the American Revolution. We're going to have several episodes in the coming months. Uh, 2023 is going to be the year of the American Revolution, I guess, that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I mean, kind of 1783, sort of, and 2023, it sort of works. We're cool with all that. Uh, We're going to start where you should start with all that. We're going to talk about the man, the mystery, the legend. George Washington himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've 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 circled around him many times in many things because he is such a, a giant in, in in all of world history. Mm-hmm. But we're going to go deep with him as both the man, the leader, the general, the president, and the father of our country. So uh, make sure you're here for this next episode. Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes drop every second and fourth Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a review. That helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next time.